I'm Dean Olsher, and you're listening to The Really Big Questions. It's the podcast that asks, that's right, The Really Big Questions. Today, we want to know about storytelling. We heard from E.O. Wilson in a previous podcast. He's the biologist and writer who's arguing that stories are the only way that human minds can understand the world. We instinctively take our experience and we give it a shape with a beginning and a middle and an end, an arc that rises and falls, characters we can relate to. And I'm going to show you just how true this is right now. We're going to run a little experiment. If you have access to the internet and you're not driving, go to trbq.org play. If you can't get online, I promise it'll still be fun. But uh, if you can, the URL is trbq.org play. And when you get there, you'll see a short animated film from the 1940s by two researchers named Heider and Simmel. And you'll see two triangles, one slightly larger than the other, a circle and a box. There's lots of motion and interaction all happening on a two-dimensional plane. And that's it. The weird thing is... Everybody I've shown this movie to starts telling a story about what's going on. A few weeks ago, I ran this experiment by the writer A.J. Jacobs. He's the author of four books, and his new project is called The Global Family Reunion. Okay, what are we looking at? Tell All me right, what's happening. Here, there's some, some sort of triangle inside a box. Now there's another smaller triangle, and there's a circle. Oh, the big triangle got out. There's some conflict between the two triangles. It's very exciting. Oh, the big triangle's a bully. He is beating up the little triangle, and now the circle is going into the room. I, it looks like a room. I changed it to a room instead of a box. So if you're not watching along with us, remember that AJ's looking at an abstract video of shapes moving around on a flat plane, and this story is entirely his own projection. And now... Now, I'm rooting for the little, I root for the underdog. I'm rooting for the little triangle. I don't like this big triangle bully. He's like the... He's like Russell Crowe. The little triangle's like Jason Schwartzman. And the woman is, you know, Halle Berry or something. And they're, they're fighting over her. I'm going to option this and turn it into a major motion picture. It satisfies on all levels. It was uh, the underdog wins, the bad guy loses, and love in the end. So a happy story. You're certain? 100% certain. There's no other possible interpretation of these shapes, these abstract shapes moving around in abstract patterns. That's right. the only way you can interpret it. Let's see how other people feel about this. Say what you saw. And you will not need headphones. We actually did find out how other people felt about this in a middle school classroom in Brooklyn, MS-88. Students were sitting around tables, and off in a corner there was a vintage darkroom timer on top of a cabinet. And even though it was a hot morning at the end of the school year, still, literacy teacher Keith Christensen managed to keep this group of 30 eighth graders engaged for two hours. A lot of it had to do with the fact that he had put in an enormous effort to build a lesson plan around this idea that humans naturally impose stories where none exist. He started by showing Rorschach images, and then he moved on to the Hyder Simmel movie. I want you to meet with one other person and take out that Venn diagram and compare your stories. How long do we think we need for this? Do I like five, I'll check in. Dante, could you put five on the clock? Deja, thanks. Here are some observations that I made in Keith Christensen's classroom of remarkable middle school students. First, the stories that people project onto the Hyder Simmel video are multiple and various, depending on the person's life experience. I think the, the big triangle is beating up the small triangle. I thought the big triangle was the mother. 
The little triangle was the daughter, and the circle was the boyfriend. I thought way different from you, so I thought that it was like two random kids disturbing some random guy. I thought that it was a bully bullying the small circle, and the, the smallest triangle was helping him out. I said that the big triangle was the father, the small triangle was his wife, and the circle was his son. The father was drunk and he came in and he's trying to go to sleep. But then I guess they disturbed the sleep and got him mad. And then he was abusing his wife. He wasn't. And then he's going to go for the son. And then the, tri then the wife stopped him. And then the son and mother ran out, trapped him in a room and left. And then he got mad and he just destroyed the whole room. Observation number two. I have never seen anyone get stumped when asked to narrate the Hyder Simmel movie. Humans just have a deep need to find meaning even when none exists. Ariel. You could say that the big triangle was desperate for a friend. So what are the shapes then? If he's like looking for a friend, what are they? They're all little kids, They're but all little kids. One, the big shape is just a lonely kid. Like it, the odd one. And no one wants to hang out with them. Or him. Wow. Yeah, yeah kindergarten was tough for me with my name, so yeah. <laughs> you know Ariel the Little Mermaid? I did not know Ariel the Little Mermaid, so you got heckled for be. Wow. To me, um, Michael's story seems weird because, like, how would, because um, how would you get all of that just by watching a video? Like, just how could you get all of that just by watching the video? Yeah. That's actually a really important question. So, how are we getting all of this from just watching this little video? I think it's like a painting, like the video's a blank canvas, and then our mind and experiences are the paint. And then we just apply that to the video, and then we get what we get. We apply our experiences, and we get what we get. That's the best, most down-to-earth explanation I've ever heard of what psychologists call projection. It's hard to say for sure if other animals have the same tendency to project. We do know that computers do not do it. And it's one of the big challenges in the field of artificial intelligence. Getting computers to interpret the same way we do is at the center of research being done by Andrew Gordon. I'm a uh, professor of uh, computer science at the University of Southern California. Gordon uses the Hyder Simmel movie as a lens to focus on how people interpret their experiences and turn them into stories and how people make inferences about what's driving the actions of others. He wants to get computers to be able to do that kind of interpretive storytelling, too. One of his goals is to program them to narrate the Hyder Simmel movie, that short, abstract film of shapes moving around the screen, just like those Brooklyn 8th graders. Would you just unpack a little bit, what were Hyder and Simmel up to when they made this film? You know, Fritz Hyder, he was a psychologist. He was Austrian-born, and he came from a school of psychology called the Gestalt School. Can you define Gestalt in one sentence? Gosh, no, I can't. Gestalt, uh, you know, Gestalt uh, is German right. words. It means to be... Structure, right? Well, right? Is it... that's right. And the, the sort of uh, the whole context. And uh, Fritz Heider got here. You know, we were in the throes of what was called behavioralism in psychology, where people didn't worry too much about what was going on between your ears. Uh, they were mostly interested in the uh, connections between uh, perceptions and then the action the, that you could observe rather than uh, imagining what goes on in people's heads. Now, Fritz Heider, he uh, was totally concerned with what was going on in people's heads. And this film was kind of like magic for him because he, uh, he would show it to undergraduates at Smith College. And they would come up with these 
stories that had nothing to do with triangles, right? Uh, they're all about people and their social relationships and what are they thinking, what are their goals, and what are their hopes and dreams and regrets and, <laughs> and all this kind of stuff. What was his conclusion from this experiment? He wrote uh, a very, very influential book a decade later in uh, 1957 or 58 called The Psychology of Interpersonal Relations. He uh, saw that people had a theory about each other, and that's what made them so smart and so able to make interpretations of the Heidersimmel film and of each other when they're having conversations with each other. Tell me about the work that you do involving computers in the Heidersimmel film. Well, it's really quite simple. I'm trying to build a computer that can do the same thing that those subjects did in Heider's original experiment. That is to say, I'm trying to build a computer that can watch a movie like the Heider Simmel film, interpret what's going on, anthropomorphize the triangles and circles in those movies, and come up with a real narrative that is insightful or that is human in the way that people tell stories as well. This is beyond artificial intelligence. It's artificial empathy. Maybe, but I think for me, it's the core of artificial intelligence, right? If we're ever going to have computers that are collaborative with us and we can work with them in everyday situations, then they've got to know a lot about us. You know, people are never going to learn a lot about computers. It's all electrons running around circuits anyway. Uh, mm -hmm. The difficult problem is bridging the gap in the other direction. How are we going to get computers to know enough about human psychology to work with us? Right. Why do you want to do this? Well, it's... It's a bit of an art project, right? <laughs> I guess uh, everything uh, that a researcher does is sort of driven by you know, something inside. What's fascinating to me is that people are so good at this task. They're so good at you know, watching trajectories of triangles moving around the screen and coming up with these deep explanations of their emotional state, of their plans and goals and their fears and their personal relationships with each other. I'm fascinated by how easy it is for people. The truth is it's super, super hard for computers. There's so much knowledge that people have about human psychology on a common sense level that computers have no access to that is necessary to do this task. That's what really fascinates me is how is it that humans know so much and are so good at reasoning about human psychology and computers are so bad at it? And you really feel like you're going to be able to get computers to do this? Absolutely. <laughs> when? When, when? Well, I don't know. These things take time. Uh, you know, the answer to, uh, to all these questions about when, when it comes to technology, is always a question about who and how much, right? Because, uh, you know, if we wanted to solve these problems, then we would put all of our best minds and a lot of money, research money behind it, and, and we would solve these problems very quickly. How good is your computer at doing the Heider-Simmel trick? Gosh, it's getting there. <laughs> it's so hard. The real problem is that knowledge, right? I mean, we all know that that if you um, you know steal from somebody, that they're going to get angry and they may want to get revenge, right? Or uh, you know that if someone is in love, they may do silly things. And if they're reunited with a long-lost uh, friend, they may be super happy about it or nostalgic. Gosh, you know, who's going to tell that to a computer, right? You have to write down all those rules, all that knowledge. It's either got to come from people uh, writing a computer code that emulates that kind of reasoning, or it has to be harvested from, you know, the crowd in some way, in some sort of crowdsourcing way. Computer science, uh, as well as a, a fascinating way to answer the really big questions, is a really uh, data-driven science. The more data we can get, the more we can evaluate the quality of our own algorithms. And uh, we could even then potentially use that data to train a system to do it automatically. Hmm. Stories are 
part of our social fabric. They they bind us together. They create empathy. And I would want to hear what my son would tell me in a story, but why would I want to hear what a computer would have to tell me? Yeah. <laughs> you know, the lives of uh, computers right now are not very interesting. There's a lot of uh, reading and writing from hard drives, not the stuff of great Hollywood uh, storytelling. And that's a fascinating problem, right? How are we going to build a capacity for interpreting events so that these computers have something actually interesting to say? But, you know, computers are becoming more and more ingrained into the fabric of our lives. There's sometimes we want to hear stories from computers because we can get them to watch stuff that uh, would be too expensive to have humans watch. You know, the funders for my project actually is the Navy, <laughs> of all people. Mm. Uh, mm. Now, why would the Navy care about triangles uh, moving around screens? Actually, you know, if you look at a Navy radar, it's, <laughs> it's populated with a lot of triangles moving around screens. Yeah. But, you know, computers are about automation. I'm very happy to have my computers uh, stare at triangles moving around screens and trying to come up with some interpretation of what the intentionality of these triangles uh, might be and to be able to craft a narrative or a message so that it could be understandable to a 19-year-old sailor on the deck of one of these ships. Andrew Gordon is looking for help in his research. He's developed a data mining app called Hyder Simul Interactive Theater. It lets you redraw the animation however you like and narrate other people's Hyder Simul creations. You can find it on our website, which is trbq.org. Leave your comments there, and also find us on Twitter at trbqs, and on Facebook, where you can leave us your really big question. This podcast was produced by Flora Lichtman, Chris Julin, and me, Dean Olsher. The Really Big Questions is a project of Sound Vision Productions with funding from the National Science Foundation. So long for now. 